You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. So if you guys will, open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, that's totally okay. It's page 600 in the Pew Bible right in front of you. I would love for you guys to physically open up God's Word uh, to the book of Isaiah for our study today. Again, it's page 600 in the Pew Bible. So church, I I recently learned that in 2023, and this seems like a lot to me, but I, you know, what am I? Whatever. The number of smartphones, this is what I learned, the number of smartphone users in the world is 6.92 billion, okay? But to give you some perspective, that translates to roughly 86% of the entire world's population. Isn't that crazy to think about? 86% of the world's population uses their phones to talk and text and tweet and TikTok and be real and blog and engage in social media and do business and shop and play games and take pictures and read and listen to music and watch videos and a host of other things. Now, regardless of what work or play that you use your smartphone for, for every single user of the 6.92 billion users out there, they all share one thing in common. You know what that is? If you want your smartphone to have power, then at the end of the day, you gotta plug it in. You gotta plug it in. Every day your phone needs to be connected to its charger so it can gain new energy and power and strength. And if you choose not to connect your phone to its charger, to its power source, it's only a matter of time before it fails to send and receive a signal. Shuts down, stops working. No matter how good that battery life may be in the phone, there's not one smartphone on planet Earth, until Elon Musk creates it, that doesn't need recharging at some point. Church, the same could be said about our spiritual lives. Did you know that? Just like smartphones, our relationship with God is a very important part of our everyday lives, and it needs regular recharging in order for it to work. If you find yourself tired and worn down and weary, if you're struggling to send or receive anything meaningful in your faith, if you're spiritually weakened and you're on the verge of shutting down, there's a good chance, listen, there's a good chance that you just need to reconnect to your divine power source. Remember, when our cell phones need charging, we can't just connect them anywhere, right? We can't just plug it into an empty wall socket or something like that, or something that doesn't, have, that doesn't draw uh, power, it needs to be connected to the right source. And the same could be true when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. If you want to be recharged and refreshed and renewed spiritually, then you can't just plug it in anywhere. You've got to plug in to your only source of power spiritually, and that source of power is Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and whoever abides in me stays connected to me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You can do nothing apart from Jesus. And so this morning, as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah, we're going to find God's people needing a fresh reminder of where their source of strength and power comes from. Now, for those of you who haven't been part of our study, um, you'll, be, you'll be playing a little bit of catch-up, but as most of you might recall, from last week's study, the people of Judah were defeated, and they were, or they felt defeated and bitter, and they were disillusioned. They were weary from being in Babylonian captivity. 
And even though their exile was a result of their own sin and rebellion, they started blaming God for their problems instead of beckoning God for his strength. They believed that God had failed them and forsaken them. And so in today's text, the prophet Isaiah is going to give the people of Judah a word of encouragement to recharge their souls and renew their strength. And it's through this prophetic word, this word of encouragement, that we're going to be reminded of this important truth. And it's this, God gives power to those who wait on his promises. And so with this, let's just pray one more time, ask God's blessing on our time in his word today. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity and the privilege it is to open up your word. And Father God, as, as we open up your living and active word, we pray that, that, that your Holy Spirit would use your word to penetrate our hearts and, and work on us, Lord. And as Pastor Dave just prayed earlier, convict us, encourage us, whatever it is you need to, to teach us this morning, we pray that you would do, that we would not get in the way. Lord God, there may be people here this morning that are tired and weary and worn out spiritually that just need that shot of encouragement today. And I pray, God, that you would use this time to do just that. Help us to leave here closer to the Lord Jesus than when we arrived and all God's people said, amen. So as I mentioned last week, Isaiah chapter 40 marks a dramatic shift in the overall theme of the book. While the first 39 chapters focused on God's judgment of his people for their sins, the latter portion of the book, beginning in chapter 40, focuses on God's restoration of his people. In fact, the prophet's change in tone would have been a uh, music to the ears from the people of Judah, who, again, at the time were tired, weary, worn out, on the verge of shutting down. And so let's begin by reading the whole passage, and then we'll break it down. It's Isaiah 40, starting in verse 27. It reads, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, a story is told of a pastor who was in the middle of preaching his sermon when he noticed a man who had fallen asleep on his wife's shoulder and was snoring like a freight train. We know who you are, by the way. Um, unable to get past this unwelcome distraction, the pastor paused his preaching and he said to the woman, Ma'am, can you please wake up your husband? To which the woman snapped back and said, Pastor, you're the one that put him to sleep. You wake him up. <laughs> yeah, we know. The struggle's real up here. We get it. But church, let's have some real talk for a second. Can we have some real talk? There are many believers who, for one reason or another, have fallen asleep on God. There are many believers who, who allowed their unwelcome circumstances to hinder their faith rather than help their faith. There are many believers who, rather than seek God as a refuge and strength in times of trouble, have grown callous and, and really stiff-armed God instead. There are many believers who are hurting. Perhaps you're one of those believers. Maybe your faith is running on fumes and you need your spiritual tank filled. If that's you, well, I'm really glad you came today. Today. Because the prophet Isaiah spoke to an audience who was struggling with the exact same thing. And his winsome message applies just as much to God's people now as it did then. 
And so as we look at today's passage, it can be broken down into three different points. Let's begin by looking at the first, and it's simply this, the problem with God's people. What's the problem? Look again at verse 27. Isaiah said, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God. Let's stop there. You know, parents with young children, especially toddlers, know that one of their favorite questions to ask is, why? It's a question that some will ask 70 million times a day. Of course, they ask it because they're trying to get information about a world they don't yet fully understand. The problem is that no answer, not even the right answer, is sufficient. They just keep asking why, why, why. They don't know when to stop. How many parents know what I'm talking about? Yeah, struggle is very real. Well, Scottish scientist and evangelist Henry Drummond noted, and I thought this was fascinating, he said, we are born questioners. The child's great word when, he, when it begins to speak is why. Every child is full of every kind of question about every kind of thing that moves and shines and changes in the little world in which it lives. And he said, that is the emerging doubt in the nature of man. And he said, respect doubt for its origin. It's an inevitable thing. It's not a thing to be crushed. It is part of man as God made him. Doubt is the prelude to knowledge. I like that. Doubt is the prelude. To, we, we often look at doubt as a bad thing, but it could be used as a prelude to knowledge. You see, today's text finds God's people wrestling with doubt. They were asking the age-old question that the toddlers ask all the time. Why? But they were asking it towards God. The people of Judah didn't understand why God seemed to abandon and disregard them when they needed him the most. Perhaps you've wrestled with the same question in your own life. The prophet Isaiah began answering their question by using the names, I highlighted them, Jacob and Israel. Now, I thought this was fascinating. And I'm not smart enough to pick this stuff up on my own, so some other commentators who were much smarter with me figured this one out, and I thought this was interesting. You see, as you might recall, long before Judah's crisis here in captivity, the patriarch of the Jewish faith, Jacob, faced a crisis of his own. He wrestled with God both physically and prayerfully, all night long until he received a blessing. And upon receiving this blessing, God changed his name. In Genesis 32, 28, it says, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. You wrestled with God, striven with God. And see, church, by using these two names, the prophet Isaiah was showing the people of Judah that wrestling with God, especially while in the midst of crisis, was part of their heritage. It was part of their heritage. However, more importantly, he reminded them that wrestling with God can actually lead to increased faith and blessing as it did for Jacob. So all this to say, questioning God isn't necessarily a bad thing if it leads to a better knowledge of who he is and how he operates. The people of Judah needed to be reminded that contrary to their complaining, God isn't too great to care about their problems. He's too great not to care about their problems. And the same is true with us. Psalm 34, 17 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Now that word deliver can either mean from the crisis or through the crisis. But either way, those who trust in the Lord can have full confidence that he will meet them in their time of need. 
And so this brings us to the second point in today's passage, the pronouncement to God's people. Look at verse 28. It says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You know, those who know me well, those who know me well know that I'm a little bit of a risk taker when it comes to putting gas in my vehicle. I like to see how far I can get riding on fumes. And I'll be, I'll be the first to say I do not recommend this lifestyle as it's gotten me into trouble on a number of occasions. Years ago, when the kiddos were younger, I remember driving down 81 South on our way back from New York and the van ran out of gas. And to make matters worse, it was in the middle of a, of a snowstorm that just started uh, beginning and the nearest gas station was several miles away because we were kind of in between exits and it started getting dark and the van was getting cold and the kids were getting fussy. And do you guys remember that line that Ian Malcolm used in, in one of those Jurassic Park movies where he said, Mommy's very angry. <laughs> well, let's just say there's a little bit of Jurassic Park happening in the van that day. All directed towards yours truly because of my habit of running on fumes. Now, fortunately, I called my dad, and my, he showed up. My father showed up with some gas, got us back on the road. Actually, what he did, he put a little bit of gas in our tank, and then he drove away, like headed back home. And like, like Dad, you, you're not even going to follow us to the next gas station? Because it was several miles away. Well, anyway, we made it, and, and it all worked out. But um, Church, the point of, of that little story is nothing good comes from running life on fumes. Nothing. The people of Judah were running on fumes. In fact, they straight up ran out of gas. Their circumstances left them feeling spiritually dark and cold and angry. They needed an outside power source to come and fill their tank. And here Isaiah reminded them that God the Father is all-powerful, he never runs out of gas, and he's capable of carrying them through their time of need. Specifically, he reminds them and us of four realities about God as an encouragement for anyone that's going through a crisis. So let's look at these realities. We're going to break this one verse down into four parts really quick. Number one, the Lord is the everlasting God. Friends, you and I are stuck in, in this little thing called space and time. Our lives are composed of snapshots that happen in the here and now. We are incapable of seeing the bigger picture. And even if we think we could see the bigger picture, it often never works out the way that we see it working out, right? Right? God, on the other hand, is always before us and behind us and beside us. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You see, we often let the urgency of a crisis cloud our judgment. How many would you agree with that? Crisis cloud our judgment. Well, in doing so, it causes us to forget that the everlasting God never panics. He knows exactly what he's doing. There is no crisis outside of his control or his approval. He's always working out his purposes in our lives, in his own way, in his perfect timing, and for his glory. And of course, we may not always like it, and we certainly may not always understand it, but we do have the reassurance that God will use it for our well-being. Romans 8.28 says it best, and we know, read this with me, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Amen? Number two, the second encouraging reality about God is that he is the creator of the ends of the earth. 
Bible commentator R. Kent Hughes notes, he said, there is not a single square inch on this earth unknown to God or lying beyond the range of his presence. Anywhere life may take us, whether it be Babylonian exile or a lonely hotel room or an intensive care unit, God will already be there for us. We lie in his grace and power at all times, everywhere. I love that. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, it says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Friends, if you find yourself in the middle of a crisis, and I just want you to know, God wants you to know, you don't have to go it alone. You can take great comfort in knowing that the Lord is right there with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. The third reality about God, he does not grow faint or weary. I recently learned these are things that, this is crazy. When you're studying for a sermon, you learn weird things, okay? And so I recently learned, things that you never thought you even cared to know, but you learn. I recently learned that the average person spends one-third of their lifetime sleeping. 26 years of your life is spent. Isn't that crazy? Praise God. <laughs> we, we need more than 26 years, right, Merle? Come on. Oh. Merle's loving it. He's loving to sleep. Anyway, we see in order for our bodies to function properly, we need ample rest and nourishment every day. It's just how we're designed. And it's actually, it's, it's because of the fall of man, really, that we need all this rest. But God, on the other hand, he's always working. He's always watchful. He never grows weary. I remember several years ago, someone close to me was struggling with anxiety and was unable to sleep. And so I gave them a little sign just to remind them of God's sovereignty and care for them. And it simply read this. Uh, you could probably find it at Hobby Lobby today. It said, before you go to bed at night, give your troubles to God. He will be up all night anyway. And church, it's, it's true. It's true. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. All means what? All. Because he cares for you. So if you're here today and you're troubled with worry and anxiety over a crisis or situation you cannot control, let me just encourage you to do what God says. Give it over to him in prayer. It's certainly, I promise it, it's certainly not going to make things worse. It's not going to make things worse. In fact, I believe you're going to find out fairly quickly that a huge weight is going to be lifted off your shoulders. It may not make the problem go away, but the weight of that problem might be a little lighter by giving it over to God. F.B. Meyer, he was a good friend of D.L. Moody, he said this, as we pour out our bitterness, God pours in his peace. So we can give it all over to God and, and, and just give it over to him, and, and he, will, he will give us his peace. If you don't believe me, read Philippians chapter 4. It tells you all about just giving your anxieties over to God, and he brings that perfect peace. Next, the fourth reality about God is that his understanding is unsearchable. And this is, this is a hard one to grasp practically because we all struggle with that question of why. We've all been there. We've wrestled with God, and we want to understand why. Like, we, almost, we accept that, that even life has trials. We just don't like when they come to us. 
and we can't understand, we need to grapple with, God, why are you allowing me to go through this? Friends, even though you may not understand why God would allow you to go through a certain crisis, and even though you may not be able to rationalize it in your own head, we have a God whose wisdom is perfect and completely trustworthy. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. But God, I don't understand. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways. Your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. But God, no, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. To quote Hughes one more time, he said this. He said, life is often bewildering to us, but it isn't bewildering to God. There are depths to God's wisdom we cannot access. If our lives are not exactly the way we want them to be, we can be sure they are precisely the way God wants them to be. He knows what he's doing. And I like this. So we don't live by explanations. We live by promises. Can I say that one more time? We don't live by explanations. Oh, man, even as I say that, that's so hard to grapple with. <laughs> we don't live by explanations. No, we live by promises. We don't figure out God by our brains. We submit to him by faith. I told you, that's a hard one. And so all this to say, again, if you are running on fumes, if you're on the verge of breaking down, instead of trying to comprehend why you're in a crisis, which can be frustrating and, and, and exhausting. Let me encourage you to lean on the everlasting God and ask him to help you. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? Read this with me. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, and he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord does not sleep on his people. You see, church, God never promised a life without trials, but he does promise to fill the tanks of his children when they go through trials. And we just need to call upon him. Those are four things, really cool things, attributes about God that can help us going through a crisis. This leads us to the third main point in this passage, uh, and it's this, the promise for God's people. The promise. Look at verses 29 through 31. It says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, church, when a loved one is in surgery, those who are in the hospital to support him or her are asked to sit in the waiting room. Now, anyone who's experienced this before, you know that being in the waiting room is one of the hardest parts of the process, isn't it? Because it's in the waiting room where we wrestle with the unknowns, the what-ifs, and the incessant worry. Much of our time in the waiting room is spent on the edge of our seats until we receive a good word from the doctor. Church, there are going to be certain times in life when God puts us in the waiting room. There's going to be times when he allows us to go through trials with seemingly no end or answer in sight. There's going to be times when all we can do is wait until we get a word from him. And yes, these times of waiting are very hard. However, the blessing 
about being a child of God is he does not waste our times of waiting. Author Richard Hendricks said, second only to suffering, waiting can be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality most of us will ever encounter. You see, God uses our time spent in the waiting room to strengthen our faith, if we allow him to. When Isaiah said, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, he didn't mean those who sit around and literally do nothing. The word wait means to hope or to expect or to look out for. It implies living with confidence in the outcome. Living with confidence in the outcome. You know, I can recall several occasions in my own life when I had loved ones who were in need of major surgery. And in all of these cases that I can remember, I was naturally nervous, but at the same time, I had this sense of confidence and peace that everything was going to turn out fine. Why? Because the Lord provided experienced doctors who assured us that they knew what they were doing. And so I simply chose to trust the doctor's judgments and abilities, ultimately trusting in the Lord, and I had confidence that the outcome would be what they said it was going to be. You see, church, waiting means trusting in the judgments and abilities of our divine physician. It's taking God at his word and living with confident expectation that God will do what he said he was going to do. I've heard it said, waiting is what faith does before God's answer shows up. God gives us great and precious promises, and then he calls us to wait. The prophet Jeremiah understood this when he wrote Lamentations 3, verses 24 through 26. These are some beautiful verses. He said, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I think the problem is we don't wait quietly, do we? We wait in a lot of different ways, but quiet is not one of my attributes anyway when I'm waiting on God. It's more like the people of Judah. I wait with this spirit of complaint instead of the spirit of, of quietness and humility and trust in God. It's a lesson that we all need to learn time and time again. And friends, those who wait with, with this type of confident expectation will not be left wanting. Their weary souls are going to be strengthened. They're going to overcome their crisis. In fact, Isaiah tells us that they will mount up with wings like eagles. You know, eagles are fascinating creatures, and I'm not talking about the football team because they stink. But anyway, <laughs> eagles are fascinating creatures. Among their many incredible abilities, just get over it, guys, all right? I'm trying to tell you a story about eagles here. You know, the eagles are fascinating creatures because among their incredible abilities is they're, they're actually able to climb up to 10,000 feet in the air and soar for hours, 10,000 feet. Perhaps Isaiah, I just wondered, did Isaiah have this picture in mind when he wrote these cherished words? Because his point was that those who wait on the Lord and trust in his promises will experience supernatural strength capable of helping them rise above life's difficulties. Rise above life. It doesn't remove life's difficulty, but it gives you this, this supernatural ability to rise above them. And so knowing this truth, if you came here this morning weary and heavy laden, if you're tired and worn out and on the verge of shutting down, if you need to be renewed and recharged, might I encourage you 
to do whatever it is that you need to do to reconnect with your divine power source today? Might I encourage you to cry out to him to help you? Might I encourage you to wait with confidence and expectation for the Lord to act? The words of the old hymn are spot on. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know thus saith the Lord. Let's sing the chorus. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Words are spot on. Church, might I encourage you to trust him more today? I love what Psalm 55, 22 says. It says, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. How about it? Amen? And this leads us back to today's truth to remember. God gives power to those who wait on his promises. And you know, no matter how hard life gets this side of heaven, God his greatest and most reassuring promises that when we die, we'll be in heaven. I don't know about you, that's what gets me through some days. Some days when I'm mad at myself for being stupid, or days where I'm going through trials that I don't understand, or I look at the world and I get discouraged. What gets me through is, all my life you have been faithful, God. And man, like, this is not the end. This isn't the end. We just got to get through this period of time before we're with Jesus forever. That gives me hope. Jesus said in John 14, 1 through 3, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. It's a beautiful promise. However, listen closely. This promise only applies to those who are his children. In fact, everything I spoke on this morning only applies if you are a child of God. Which, of course, begs the question, how do you become a child of God? Well, I'm going to explain that in just a couple of minutes, and we're going to close. I'll close with this. The Bible teaches that God made us to be with him, to have a relationship with him. But we sinned, and we cut ourselves off from him. And yet God, in his great love, for us became a man in Jesus, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross taking the punishment for your sins and my sins upon himself. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and in doing so, he provided a way to receive forgiveness for your sins, be saved, and have eternal life. And so how do you become a child of God and receive this free gift? John 1.12 says it best. It says, but all to who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In other words, if you want to be forgiven for your sins and be assured of your salvation, then all you must do is believe that you're a sinner. Admit that you're a sinner. Repent of your sin, asking God to forgive you, and believe in the person and work of Jesus. Trust in him and him alone for eternal life. Friends, there is no greater reassurance on planet Earth than the reassurance of knowing that you will go to heaven when you die. If you don't know you're going to heaven, then you're probably not. Because Bible says that we can know for sure. So if you don't know for sure, but you want to know for sure, let me encourage you. 
If you've never placed your faith in Jesus for eternal life, you could do so right here, right now. Today could be the day of your salvation. You can leave here knowing for sure that you're saved. In fact, I would encourage you not to put it off any longer because God the Father wants to adopt you into his forever family, and you may never have this opportunity again. This may be your one shot because you don't, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed this afternoon. We're only guaranteed the moment you have right now. The Apostle Paul declared, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So, friend, if that's you, I want to encourage you right, right here, right now, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you'd like more information about what it means to be saved, you can speak with me after the service. You can come forward. You can grab an information packet right here at the, uh, underneath the pulpit here. It's got some information. It's got the Gospel of John. It's got some really important questions that people ask about eternity. You can mark it on your connect slip if you'd like, but here's the deal. I don't want you leaving here without finding rest in the promise of eternal life. So be sure you, you do business with God uh, this morning if you've never placed your faith in Jesus. I promise you won't regret it. And so at this time, I'd like to uh, invite the praise team to come forward. I'd also like to invite the prayer team to come forward as well. If you need prayer at the end of the service today, uh, when we dismiss, as people are going out this way, you can come forward. Uh, some members of our prayer team will be up front, and you can literally just come forward and say, hey, can you pray, pray for me over this thing? And that's all they're going to do. They're just going to pray over you and encourage your spirit this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray together before we close in song. Father God, I want to thank you for the reminder that we all need. The people of Judah needed it then, and, and your people need it now. The reminder that you are the one that renews our strength. Lord, you know my heart. You know how many times I have been weary and worn out and on the verge of shutting down. And but by the grace of God, Lord, I'd still be sitting on the side of the road, lifeless. Oh God, but every day you breathe life into us, your word says, and you are capable of renewing our strength. And even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. I praise you for that truth. And so, Father God, if there's anyone here this morning that just needed that reassurance, needed their tank filled, I thank you, God, for doing that for them today. Lord, if there's anyone here that just needs prayer over a situation, over a crisis in their life, I pray that you would encourage them to come forward. You would prompt them to come forward uh, after we sing. Lord, most importantly, if there's anyone here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, God, may, may today be the day of their salvation. Lord God, we thank you for the work you've done in our midst today. Thank you for the baptisms we were able to celebrate. Thank you for the salvation we have in Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.